This morning, we're starting on a new series that I've simply called Advent. Um, now, that term Advent uh, it may be familiar to some of you here in this room, and it may be completely new and foreign to others of you here. For a long time, uh, I assumed that Advent was just another word for Christmas and that the two were interchangeable, they meant the same thing. But if you've spent time in a liturgical church setting, you probably understand better than I do uh, that there's a difference between Christmas and Advent. There's a rich history to the tradition, and, and we're going to dive into it a little bit over the next few weeks. So Advent, um, on the church calendar, it encompasses the four Sundays prior to Christmas. This is the first Sunday, and it officially ends on the night of Christmas Eve. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, and when you translate that into English, it means coming, arrival. Advent is about the arrival of Jesus Christ, and there is both a, a past and a future aspect to that. So Advent, on the one hand, it celebrates the incarnation, that moment in history when Jesus Christ broke into our world, when undiminished deity arrived in a human form, a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, and we celebrate that. But at the same time, Advent also anticipates the promise of Jesus' second coming, the reality that he's coming again, that the same Christ who came has promised to come again. And so Advent is about tying those two comings together. It's, it's looking back in celebration, and it's also looking forward in expectations. And so I hope uh, that we can carve out some space in our schedules this season to focus on both. A, a friend of mine uh, recently in passing said a few weeks back to me that he was determined to not let Christmas ruin his advent. And that, that stuck with me. I think there's something to that because there are so many distractions this time of year. Our schedules get so filled. There's so much that gets in the way from focusing on the Christ who came and the Christ who's coming again. So let's do that this morning, and if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to kick off the Advent season with a focus on Advent anticipation. Um, Advent anticipation. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8 and uh, read verse 18. It says this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Stop right there and unpack that a little bit. This passage is, is addressing this reality that every person in this room can relate to. It's, it's the reality of suffering. And, and while it says that our present sufferings, they're not worth comparing with, with what's waiting in the future, that's, that's not to imply that what we suffer right now isn't real or that it doesn't matter or that in any way it's insignificant. The reality is that we are living in a world of hurt and, and there's not a person on the planet who gets a pass out of that pathos. Uh, pathos is the Greek word 
in this passage that's used for suffering. And it's, it's describing a hardship. It's describing agony, this affliction that you can't seem to get away from. And it comes in so many forms, right? Some, some are suffering uh, from sickness. And that can range from anything from the common cold to COVID to cancer and everything in between. Our, our healthcare systems, they're stressed to the point of breaking, aren't they? Right? Uh, Diane calls up to make a doctor's appointment and she hears back every time if she can get through to someone on the other line. Yeah, yes, we have an opening available of April of next year. Oh, I've only got to wait five months? Uh, that's, that's the reality. Uh, if you venture into the waiting area of any emergency room, you get an up-close-and-personal glimpse of this reality. Suffering from sickness is for real. Others are suffering because of loss. Uh, loss comes in so many shapes and sizes. Uh, mourning the death of a, lost, of a loved one or, or the loss of a relationship that's broken and it causes this grief that seems to put down roots deep into the heart. Some maybe are suffering from just hardship. You know, maybe, maybe it's financial hardship. The bills keep coming in, the cost of living keeps going up, and there's just stress over how to make ends meet and put it all together. Or maybe for any multitude of reasons, you're just in a difficult season. Things are hard, and hardship is something that, that lands home in all of our lives. Others maybe are just suffering suffering from, from decline. Uh, the body is no longer working the way it used to and the way it ought to. It's, it's breaking up and, 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 and wearing down. And things that at one time used to go so easy now require significant amounts of, of effort. We're, we're, we're seeing this challenge. I was talking with my father-in-law on Thanksgiving, and he talked about the fact that he's got that Roomba vacuum. And the Roomba vacuum made its way underneath the TV and it got stuck there. And that means someone's got to get the Roomba vacuum out from underneath the TV. And so he said he gets down on his hands and knees and gets it and takes it out. And it's, it's like an all-day affair for him. He's done for the day after he's done that because that's, that's where his, his body is at right now. Suffering for all of us, it's a, it's a present reality. And the question is why? Why are things so hard? What is the reason behind all this? What's the, what's the cause? And, and the passage is going to go on and give an explanation to us, something that helps set our sufferings into context and to put them into perspective. So let's, let's keep reading and see what that is. It says this, For the creation waits with either long, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So 
According to this passage, what it's, what it's laying out here is that hardship and the sufferings that we hit up against in our daily lives is the outworking of a world gone wrong. That there's this comprehensive category in this passage. It's called the created things. Um, the creation is, is what Paul calls it here. And that would include basically every aspect in creation apart from humankind. So it's covering the air we breathe, the water we drink, the plants and the animals, the fish and the sea, all of existence from the molecules to the mountaintops. And, and Paul personifies it all, that's creation. He describes it's all waiting in anti intense anticipation for this one particular moment to take place. The moment, he says, when the sons of God are revealed. And we're going to get back to what that means in just a bit. But, but, but that moment, it's coming when the world as we know it at a foundational level is going to change. And when that moment arrives, it says creation is going to get released or liberated or set free. But what that also means is that until that moment arrives... All of creation, every part of existence is, is in some way locked up. The, the passage describes it as being in prison, that, that creation has been subjected by God himself and sentenced to futility and corruption. Now, now that echoes back to, to the Garden of Eden. It, it echoes back to that moment when our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God and the impact of that action, it went so far beyond that one incident, that one thing, and so far beyond them that the consequences of the fall are nothing short of cosmic. It's as if, as a result of that, God intentionally put the world on tilt, tilted it off its axis, and ever since then, the whole of creation has been what the Bible describes as cursed, a cursed existence. So in Genesis 3, on the other side of the fall, here's what God says to Adam. He says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What that's saying is that when, when humanity fell, the rest of creation, through no fault of its own, fell along with it. And so toil and turmoil and frustration and suffering, those are trademarks of what life looks like east of Eden. It's, it's the default mode of the world as we know it. And in this passage, to continue that personification, it says all of creation is breathing this collective groan. Isn't that kind of like a universal thing? I don't know how it applies to different cultures and time periods, but we all understand what groaning is, right? It's, it's what we do when we're frustrated. We groan. Oh, come on. We can all relate to that, right? And, 
And what this is saying, it's not just, it's not just creation that grows, groans. It's not just the world around us that's broken. It's, it's personal. It applies to us. We are all broken people as well. Our lives, they don't work the way that they're designed to. And that even extends, it says here, to God's redeemed children. That, that we are not exempted from this cursed existence either, right? And even after we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the first fruits, we still groan. Can I get an amen to that? Right? Some of you know what that's like, right? Jesus, he makes life worth living, but you might have noticed he doesn't always or even often make life easier. That's not his assignment. And so we too, we join in this chorus along with all of creation in this collective groan over how frustrating and how futile life as we know it can be. And we long for something more. So for example, think about why is it when you put a plan on paper and it looks so simple, so just step one, step two, step two, step three, and it all ends up getting complicated. Have you ever been there and seen that? Why does that happen? Why is it when you think you're communicating something and it's so clear to you and the person that's hearing what you're saying is completely confused and it causes conflict. Why does that, why does that happen? Like, why is it that our souls seem to be hardwired for a life of significance? We know that we're made to matter. And yet when we look at the course of our daily lives, so much of what we do just seems like a waste of time. Why do our bodies keep breaking down? I can't do the things that I need to do and there's futility and there's frustration and it's pervasive, it's everywhere. So, so back, in, back in 2008, uh, I bought a brand new Chevy Avalanche truck and my goal was to have this truck for a really long time and my commute is like, what, a mile and a half, two miles away from here. I don't do a lot of driving. I babied that truck. I had plans for this truck being in place for 20 plus years. I did all the maintenance, did all the oil changes. I cleaned it and washed it and all that kind of stuff. And, and so one day I, I went to take the back hitch connector out and I found out that it had actually rusted so badly that it completely fused together to the chassis of the truck. And so I'm like, I got to get this thing out of here. So I took a hammer to it. I got down on the ground, started hammering it out. And as I'm doing this, I'm trying to budget loose. It starts flaking down rust from underneath the bottom of my truck. And it's like a snowstorm of rust. It's like falling down on the driveway. And the underneath of it was just an absolute mess. Finally got it out after uh, Don Del Benny took a... Took a um, uh, what did he, he had to fuse it out with a, with a blowtorch. Um, and then a year later, with very little use and everything else, the transmission blew out. And that was all she wrote. That was the end of my, probably the last new car I'll ever buy. Um, but it's a testimony that things fall apart so quickly. And so part two to that story happened a couple of years back. Um, because after that car broke down, I went on the internet and I Googled, what is the car that lasts the longest? 
and I did some research. And one Sunday after church, it was in the middle of COVID actually, Diane drove me down to LaGuardia Airport. I took a plane to New Orleans uh, where they don't put down salt on the road. And I drove back home in a 2005 rust-free Land Cruiser. Now, I did it on the QT because, you know, travel back then, some people had different opinions about that. Um, but I've got that car now, and I'm trying to do the same thing. I, I get down underneath it, and I rust coat it every year. Um, <laughs> and my plan is to, uh, I want to get 20 more years out of this car. And we'll see how that goes. Some of you are laughing. Um, but I do as well know that it's a losing prospect, right? If it lasts another year or, or maybe two years at most, it's still, it's a matter of time before it falls apart. And, and here's the thing, what applies to, to cars and trucks, it applies to our bodies as well. It's, it's just a matter of time. It, it applies to everything in this world that we live in, and it's because the curse is still in effect. The law of entropy still applies, and, and we remain in bondage to corruption. That's, that's the reason. And, and, it, and it sounds a little disheartening maybe, but it's not. We have to look at beyond the reason, what's the response, and, and let's go there now. It says this. Um, it says... Uh, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not a hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so this kind of gets to the, the, the Christian conviction, um, which is that because Jesus came, the way, things right, the way things are right now is not the way they're ultimately going to be. That is the Christian conviction because when Jesus came, he came with this fully human body, a fully human nature, and a fully divine nature. And an and undiminished deity arrived in the form of this frail baby boy who grew up and lived a perfect life. And then three days after he went to the cross to die that perfect death in our place, he was buried in a tomb. He rose back to life back to life eternal. In other words, God's holy one, it says in the Psalms, didn't see corruption in the grave, like, unlike every other person in the course of humanity. Jesus overwhelmed the grave. And when he overwhelmed the grave, he overcame the curse. And ever since that day, death and destruction and suffering and anguish, they no longer have the final say. And that reality is leading to something. It's leading to a particular moment. It is set to take shape when Jesus returns, when he comes again. That's, that's the moment all of creation is longing for. The cries of creation. They're not the cries of resignation. They're the groans of anticipation. So if we look at this passage and we complete the imagery, right? Creation is captive to the curse right now, but it waits in eager longing because the time will come when those prison doors are going to unlock and the doors are going to swing open and all of creation will be set free to resume operating according to God's original 
design. That's what's coming. And these groans, these groans that creation cries, that, that we cry, it says these are the groans of childbirth. They're, they're labor pains. That's a very particular kind of pain. It's a, it's a pain that leads to birth. It leads to life. And, and, you know, it's something I have zero experience in, but I did have a front row seat to watch the, the pains of childbirth four different times. And three out of those four times, Diane, for some crazy reason, she refused the epidural. Uh, not because she likes pain, but she wanted to be fully present the moment of birth. She wanted to see the baby as soon as he came or she came out. And, and so there was pain, but on the other side of that pain, there was life. There was birth. And this passage is giving us this context. This is, this is the way to see the pains in our lives through the present times and put them into perspective. They're, they're not random. They're not meaningless. They're, they're leading to this moment when God's redeemed children get revealed, when we're seen for who we really are, when, 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 when this work that started at our redemption, when new life came into us, when you chose to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you, and that regeneration, and then through the course of the Christian life, we got sanctification, we're growing in godliness, we're learning what it looks like to do life with Jesus, but it ends and the finished product is called glorification, when we're made like Jesus, when we get redeemed and our redemption reaches its conclusion. It's leading to that to the redemption, it says, in this passage of our bodies. See, not, not just our souls, right? Don't think of your future as some kind of ghost angelic existence where you just pass through walls and fly in the sky and that kind of stuff. It's, it's a bodily, physical future, physical frames. That's the whole reason why Jesus came as a human person, Physical frames set free from sin, set free from temptation, set free from the curse, no longer dressed in bodies that we now have, right? The ones that, that get sick and they wear out, they experience trauma and stress and die. We're going to put on these glorified bodies that are going to work the way God designed them to. Just, just listen to how it's described in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, the one that we have now, must, be, must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is the moment all of history is leading towards, to this moment that's set to take place when Jesus returns. Because just like when, when all of humanity fell, the rest of creation went down with it, that moment when God's redeemed children get revealed and glorified and put on our final wardrobe, the rest of creation is going to get released and set free 
at that same time. So ladies and gentlemen, rest assured, the curse is real, but it's coming to an end. There's an expiration date attached to it. Or as the third verse of joy to the world reminds us, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Jesus comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. And that means the day is going to come when the emergency rooms are going to be empty. The funeral home industry is going to be out of business. There's going to be no need for any more medicines. Sadness will be a thing of the past. Frustrations and disappointments and confusion and hurt and loss and grief and suffering, they're all going to be like some kind of distant memory, like maybe just a bad dream you woke up from and you wondered if it was even real. And so until that day comes, here we are in, in between the now and the not yet. And, and in our daily lives, we, we hurt, but we live our lives anchored to hope. That's what this passage is getting us to. This, this brokenness that we can't get away from in the present, it's a beacon that's lighting us and lighting up the path towards what's awaiting, what's ahead. For in this hope, we are saved, and hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So let me challenge you this morning, hold on to hope. Hold on to that hope. It's, it's kind of comparable in many ways to like, you know, as a child going to bed on Christmas Eve night, right? You're barely able to fall asleep and there's so much excitement and anticipation to what you're going to wake up to on Christmas morning. And you know, everything that we look forward to in this life, it's, it's like a prelude to what all of creation is ultimately waiting for and longing for. It's the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. His return will mark the release of all of creation from bondage. It'll mark the end of the curse. It'll mark our full adoption as children of God with redeemed bodies that no longer break down. And so here and now, until then, we're, we're seeking out we're expecting, we're working for those inbreakings of the Holy Spirit's work right now. We're, we're praying for healing. We're, we're praying for power. We're seeing God at work in all kinds of ways. And some of them are, are ordinary and sometimes they're extraordinary. But as this pastor tells us, it's, it's just the first fruits. The harvest is in the future. It's yet to come. And so until then, we, we wait, it says, with with patience. Christians are a people who are willing to wait. I don't like waiting. I don't know about you. Patience is not one of my strong points, but being able to persevere through the difficulties, through the challenges, through the hardship, not with resignation, but with expectation, with confidence that what's coming and what will be will make it all worth it. The best is yet to come. And what it is that the deepest part of our lives, our souls hunger for, 
It's not going to be satisfied with anything this world has to offer. What we need will not be satisfied with anything less than the return of our Savior. And he's coming again. And we fix our hope on him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you.